Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Leviticus, chapter 2. Leviticus, chapter 2. And we'll study in this chapter the meat offering. Let's read chapter 2. It's there's 16 verses. And when any offer a meat offering unto the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil upon it and put frankincense thereon. And he shall bring it to Aaron, I mean to Aaron's sons, the priests, and he shall take thereout his handful of the flour thereof, and of the oil thereof, with all the frankincense thereof, and the priest shall burn the memorial of it upon the altar, to be an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. Remember we mentioned that the first three offerings we studied are sweet savor offerings. That is, that they're pleasing to God, or especially for God. In verse 3, And the remnant of the meat offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is a thing most holy of the offerings of the Lord made by fire. And if thou bring an oblation of a meat offering, bacon in the, in the oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mingled with oil, or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. And if thy oblation... Uh, by the way, oblation means the act of offering something such as uh, worship or thanks uh, to a deity. And of course we know that their offering was to, to God, but there are some false religions and cults that offer oblations or offerings uh, to their deity, and some false religions do that. And if thy oblation uh, be a meat offering, bacon in a pan, it shall be of fine flour, unleavened, mingled with oil. Thou shalt part it in pieces and pour all thereon, it is a meat offering. And if thy oblation be a meat offering, bacon in the frying pan. Now notice in the verse 4 it says bacon in the oven. In verse 5 it says bacon in a pan. In verse 7 it says bacon in a frying pan. In the frying pan it shall be made of fine flour with oil. And thou shalt bring a meat offering that is made of these things unto the Lord, when it is presented unto the priest, he shall bring it into the altar. And the priest shall take from the meat offering a memorial thereof, and shall burn it upon the altar. It is an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. And that which is left of the meat offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It, it is a thing most holy of the offerings of the Lord made by fire. No meat offering which ye shall bring unto the Lord shall be made with leaven. For ye shall burn no leaven, nor any honey, in any offering of the Lord made by fire. As for the oblation of a first fruits, ye shall offer them unto the Lord, but they shall not be burnt on the altar for a sweet savor. And every oblation of thy meat offering shalt thou season with salt. Neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy meat offerings. Offering With all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt. And if thou offer a meat offering of thy firstfruits unto the Lord, thou shalt offer for the meat offering of thy firstfruits green ears of corn dried by the fire, 
even corn beaten out of, of full ears. And thou shalt put oil upon it and lay frankincense thereon. It is a meat offering. And the priest shall burn the memorial of it, part of the beat, beaten corn thereof, and part of the oil thereof, with all the frankincense thereof. It is an offering made by fire unto the Lord. If you notice back in verse 13, it says, The meat offering shalt thou season with salt. Now, eating salt together in the East is a pledge of friendship. And it's a covenant of salt that stands for incorruption and also uh, permanence. And salt was used in the sacrifice and offerings of the Israelites with the idea of uh, uh, honor and fidelity that they were pledging. Now, if you have this passage of Scripture, we want to remind you that in chapter 2 we have uh, the meat offering, and in chapter 6, verses 14 through 18, you have the law of the offering. So, we told you before that we have the offerings, chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and then in chapter 6 and 7 you have what the call, it's kind of repeated, uh, basically what we read, but it's the law of the offering with all the details of how it is to be done. Now then, chapter 1, uh, we've already read and studied, pictures Christ being utterly consumed to please the Father. Remember, we spoke of it as a whole burnt offering. And it was a voluntary offering. And so is this one a voluntary offering? And it was an offering that identified the offer with the offering. So the whole burnt offering was consumed in chapter 1 and it was offered uh, to God and it was uh, accepted by God as a sweet savor offering. And we've already pointed out the New Testament uh, reference or fulfillment of that when we at least uh, many scriptures, but at least one we gave you was Ephesians 5 verse 2, which says uh, that uh, walk in love, even as Christ uh, loved us and gave Himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. So, it's for us because in Christ's death there was a sin offering and a peace offering and a trespass offering. But in Christ's death, there was a whole burnt offering, Him giving Himself wholly to God. But this meat offering doesn't represent Christ in His death because it's a bloodless offering. It is bloodless. And so it represents Christ in His life. Now then, as we said, the first one, the burnt offering in chapter 1, was a voluntary offering. And it was an offering of identification, but it was a blood offering to be offered at the door of the tabernacle. And it, it was all to be burned up. Nothing was to be left. That's in chapter 1. But now this meat offering that we've just read about in chapter 2, and that you have the law of it in chapter 6, verses 14 through 18, is what we're going to study now in the second chapter. Now, practically all food was called meat by the ancients. In other words, it's a word not just for meat, but it's the word for food. All the food was, a, was called meat. That's why you have a meat offering here that's consisted of flour and 
fine flour and frankincense and bacon cakes and, and unleavened bread and all that. But it's still called a meat offering. And uh, that's what Paul refers to in the New Testament. He says meat is for grown-ups and milk is for babes. Remember, there's passages of Scripture, not only Paul, but Peter. Peter says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. That's First Peter, I believe, chapter 2, verse 2. And then uh, Paul says in Roman, not Romans, but Hebrews chapter 5, you'll find where he says that strong meat belongs to those that are of full age. And he says milk is for babes in that fifth chapter. And I won't quote all that right now because you just have those two points that I wanted to make. So meat or meal simply means solid, substantial food. That's what it's talking about. Substantial food. And this offering is really the finest of flour without any lumps or cracked pieces. It's perfectly fine or even or smooth flour. You know the ladies that bake cakes and stuff, they use a special flour. And uh, there's, certain, there's a difference between ordinary flour like you make bread with and, and then the fine, very fine flour that you use for other things. And you have to remember that this was of the finest flour. And uh, it, uh, the meat offering typifies Christ in His life. In the meat offering, there was no blood shedding. So it has to be His life. It's, it, the type here is Christ as He lived and walked and served on the earth. As He lived and as He walked and as He served. Those three things. Lived, walked, and served. That'd be, if you're copying down notes, that's, that's pretty good to put down. Lived, walked, and served. And so, this is a type of Him doing that. And the key verse for this thought in the New Testament would be uh, 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, where it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. It says, The man, Christ Jesus. So we're talking about the man, Christ Jesus. And we're talking about the man in his life. And Christ's humanity, by the way, is a doctrine that the devil has long sought to lead people astray about. He wants to lead people astray as to the doctrine of the humanity of Christ. Remember uh, John in 1 John, I believe it's chapter 4, the first few verses. He says, Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, in other words, that, the, that God became man, is the spirit of Antichrist. He said it's not of God. So, that's the, the first place the devil tries to to uh, seek to destroy uh, is the, the person of Christ or the incarnation that Christ became man that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and uh, leading false doctrines began by undermining the person of Christ all the false doctrines the leading ones especially began by denying and undermining the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Either His manhood or His deity. And it's just as bad to undermine one as it is the other. Because the Bible says that He was God manifest in the flesh. And so both truths come to us 
in full force from the Scriptures. Now, Christ was and is real man. And He is seated as man, Christ Jesus, on the right hand of God. And the Bible says there is one mediator between God and men. We just quoted 1 Timothy 2.5, wasn't it? Uh, there's one mediator between there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. I think that's what we had. First Timothy chapter two and verse five. But it says there is one God and one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. So the people that say, well, there are more than one mediator, there's intercessors, and some of our false religions say, well, Mary or a priest or Peter or an apostle or some angel or something else was, is a mediator. They're not. None of them are mediators. Because if you were to say there are other mediators, you just as well say there are other gods as well because it's that same Scripture that says there's one mediator says there's one God. Right? So, if you want to say there's more than one mediator, you have to say there's more than one God. And that would make a multiplicity of gods, which is false. Because the Bible all the way through declares there's one. Now that's different than Jesus saying, I and my Father are one, because He's the Son of God. He's God the Son. The Holy Spirit is God. And the Divine Trinity makes up the Godhead. There are three different persons, but there's one God. One God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now then, uh, Christ was and is a real man and is seated on the right hand of God. And as man, He has... You might want to put these things down. He has perfect sympathy. As man, He has fathomless love. As man, He has omnipotent power. As man, he has infinite wisdom. As man, he has inexhaustible resources. As man, he has unsearchable riches. And as man, his ear is open to our every breathing, our every word, everything about us. As man, his hand is open to supply our every need. There's not anything that we need and call upon the Lord to supply that He will not supply. Now, I'm not talking about a lot of things we don't need. But the things we need, He will take care of. The Bible says, But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And as man, his heart is full of unspeakable love and tenderness toward us and kindness toward us. And nothing that the heart can crave, which we do not have in Jesus. We have everything we need. The Lord Jesus was the only perfect man that ever walked on the earth. You say, well, what about Adam? He wasn't perfect. He was created in a state of innocence, but we know he fell. But Jesus came into a sinful world and overcame the world and the flesh and the devil. And he was victor over it all. And so he was the only perfect man. He was perfect in thought. He was perfect in word. And he was perfect in action and deed. Now, think of that in comparison to man. No one can say they're perfect in thought. Man, we have thoughts that come and go across our mind that should never be there. And you can't stop them. You're going to have thoughts that are wrong. 
One of the old timers said, you can let a bird fly over your head, but you don't let him stop and build a nest there. And that's the way with our thoughts, isn't it? And uh, how about our words? He was perfect in word. And we speak idle words, don't we? And we speak words that we, we shouldn't speak. You know, every day you hear about these guys that are running for president already. By the way, they got plenty of time. I don't know why they have to come out so early. It's not even 2008. But they're going to go through all of 2007 and three-fourths of 2008 before anything happens. To me, that's too long to put up with their, their uh, rhetoric. Anyway, most all of them speak out a word and then they have, to, they have to apologize the very next thought because they offended one, one fellow or another or one uh, uh, group or one society or one part of our nation or the other. I think one of them did that today. He stuck his foot in his mouth. Pretty hard to get your foot out of your mouth, isn't it? Especially if you've got a big one like mine. But the thing about it is, we all say things that we should not say. And Jesus didn't say anything He shouldn't say. Everything He said was okay. It was true. And it was right. And every action that He did, and every deed that He did was right. So it says in verse 1, And when any will offer... Now we'll take our verse-by-verse commentary on this, if you will. It says, When any will offer a meat offering unto the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil upon it, and put frankincense thereon. Now this uh, offering is still on a voluntary basis. This offering has to do with the free moral agency of man. Man is free to offer as he will to God. And the materials for the meat offering... First of all, you have fine flour. Notice verse 1. His offering shall be of fine flour. This pictures the perfect man, Christ Jesus. There's not a single coarse grain and nothing uneven, nothing unequal, so that His love did not surpass His mercy. His love and His mercy and even if you want to bring in His judgment and His chastening, it was all even. He had perfect control over everything. Nothing, there was nothing rough to the touch. Think of the smoothness of fine flour. Not a, not a grain there that's not fine. Not anything about it. No matter what pressure came from without, there was always an even surface with Jesus. Remember, they pressured him from without, from every quarter. And he was all, always even. There was always an even surface. He was never ruffled by any circumstances. You and I, we get real agitated, don't we? Remember when they said, the, even the disciples, they'd say, they said to Jesus, you know, uh, they heard of Lazarus being sick. Remember this incident? And uh, Jesus said, This sickness is not unto death, but that the Son of Man may be glorified. Finally, He said, Lazarus is 
is uh, dead. He finally had to tell them he's asleep, and then they he had to tell them he was dead, and then they they said, well, you know, it says in Jesus tarried so many days where he was. Well, now if Lazarus was dead, why did he rush over there? I mean, you know. And Martha and Mary were very agitated when he got there. Said, if you'd been here, our brother would not have died. But Jesus told them, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? I think I showed you one time in my billfold where I had a little card just like that, like these daily bread cards that was given to me, and I still got it in my billfold. It was given to me when I was 17 years old on the aircraft carrier out in the middle of the Pacific by, by the, one of the assistants of the, of the chaplain. A young man gave me that little card. I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And this is the hope that all of us have. This is what we call the blessed hope. If we didn't have that, what, what would there be to look forward to? And uh, Martha said, Mary, I think it's Martha said, well, I know that our brother shall rise again at the last day. But Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And so in the 11th of John, you'll find all that passage of Scripture. I believe what I quoted to you is verse 25 and 26. You can check it out, probably. Alright, anyway, what we're talking about, that he never had to, he never was ruffled by any circumstances, and he never had to retrace a step or recall a word. He didn't have to recall a word and say, well, I'm sorry I said that, like most of us do today. Or maybe we recall a word and we're not sorry we said it. But regardless, Jesus never had to worry about that. Because everything He said was perfectly true. And uh, He stands in contrast to Moses and Peter and John because all of them spoke uh, out of the way, didn't they? Peter spoke a lot of things that were not right. Moses spoke things that he could have left unspoken. And so did John and Paul. This flower had been thoroughly ground. So also was Christ, in that it withstood every trial and every temptation to make him an even nature. He was of an even nature. It could be said of Christ (coughs) that he's done all things well. He lived under the law and yet dealt in grace. He fulfilled the law. He rebuked sin, but forgave the sinner. He spake often, yet always He spake the right word. Remember that little saying we have, be careful of the words you say. Keep them soft and sweet. You never know from day to day which ones you'll have to eat. And that's the way it is with man, isn't it? But Jesus didn't have that problem that we have because He was able to handle it. He always did the right thing at the right time. Sometimes we do the right thing at the wrong time. 
He never spoke hastily, yet he was always one to say, Father, the hour has come. Lo, I came, come to do thy will. Now, we come to the oil. Look at this first verse again. It says, And he shall pour oil upon it, and put frankincense thereon. Now, oil in the Bible is always symbolical of the Holy Spirit. In combination of flour and oil, we have the sim- symbol of the incarnation. Because the, co- the flour indicates Christ's humanity, and the oil speaks of His deity. And the combination of these two in Christ's incarnation. In other words, He was fathered by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Word was made flesh. But in that Word that was made flesh, we find that He uh, was fathered by the Holy Spirit. And He was anointed with the Holy Spirit. Later on, we get to another point. The humanity of Jesus was made a fact through the oil of the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 1, look 1 verse 35. It says, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Born of a woman, made under the law. That's Galatians, I believe, chapter 4, verse 4. And all of this indicates that He is certainly uh, human and divine. If you want another good scripture that helps you on, on the humanity of Christ, the manhood of Christ, and the deity of Christ. Romans chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. And you know what it says? It says, He was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. That's the humanity. And it says, And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection from the dead proves His declaration to be the Son of God with power. Because He's the only one that could come forth out of the grave. Others were raised from the dead, but Jesus came from the dead. From among the dead. Victorious over the grave. And so, we find that uh, the humanity of Jesus was made perfect, um, was made a fact through the oil of the Holy Spirit. And then the fine flour mingled with oil. Notice our text says, fine flour mingled with oil. Uh, You find that on down. In verse uh, 4 it says mingle with oil. And in verse uh, 5 it says mingle with oil. And so on and so forth. So what do we find about this fine flour mixed together or mingle with oil? We find in Matthew 1, 18-23, Matthew chapter 1. Let's get this one. 18... Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when his mother Mary was the spouse of Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. 
But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared in him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee uh, Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. After the oil and the flour were mingled, the oil was poured over the product. It says, pour the oil over it. Where do we find that? That Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. The oil represents the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 3, verse 16, where Jesus was baptized, it says, And Jesus, when He was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were open unto Him. And He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon Him. And lo, a voice from heaven uh, saying, This is My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So you have Christ anointed even at the Holy, uh, at His baptism with the Holy Spirit. There are many scriptures that show us this very thing. In John three verse thirty four, look at this verse. It says, "For he, for he whom God has sent speaketh the words of God." Now look, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into His hand. So He giveth not the Spirit by measure unto Him. You read in Hebrews chapter 1, it says concerning Jesus that He was anointed with a spirit of gladness above thy brethren. You read verse 8 and 9. Hebrews 1, verse 8 and 9. It says, Unto the Son He saith, on down earlier, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Listen, thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. That means that Christ was anointed above uh, men. And Christ would not, not act saved by the authority of the Word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Every action He took was by God's authority, His Word, and by the Holy Spirit's power. In Isaiah 61, let let me read a verse in Isaiah 61, if you will. In verse 1. Verse 1 and 2. Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek, He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Now look at this, verse 2. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Look at that. The acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Now let's turn to... Luke chapter 4, if you will. Luke 4. Let's begin with verse 16. Luke 4, verse 16. This is a very important lesson. I've given it to you before, but I'd like to recap it. It says, He came to Nazareth where He had been brought up, 
And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, Esaias, or Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. By the way, he found the place where it was written. Remember, he just had the book of Isaiah. Let me just stop and we'll talk about this before we get to the main point. He just had the book. You and I have chapter and verse, don't we? We have book and chapter and verse. Did you know the Bible or even any part of it was not divided into chapters? Chapters until the year of about 1200 A.D. I'm just using rough figures now, round numbers. And it and there was a New Testament was divided into chapters. And then it was not divided into verses until about 1500 A.D. Can you imagine that? Having just books of the Bible until the year 1200 A.D. But Jesus found the place where it was written. He must have been very familiar with the books of the Bible. Alright, let's go on now. And it says in verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Notice where he stops. And he closed the book, verse 20. Remember what I've taught you here? How many remember what I've taught you right here? One. Do you remember what I taught you? Two. Three. Four. What have I taught you right here? Okay. Okay. But what, what, what he didn't say is important. He didn't say the day of vengeance of our God like it says in Isaiah. He, he stopped with the acceptable year of the Lord. Now look. In verse 20, And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down in the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fashioned on him. Now look at verse 21. And he began to say unto them, This day is this Scripture fulfilled in your ears. That's why he didn't say in the day of vengeance of our God because it was the acceptable year of the Lord. The day of vengeance is yet future. Even now, it's still future. So Jesus said, This day is this Scripture fulfilled in your ears. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me and anointed me to preach the Gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And so on and so forth. And that's why He stopped with the acceptable year of the Lord. And He didn't say, like Isaiah 61 verse 2 says, and the day of vengeance of our God. Because all this was future. Now remember that the next time you read Jesus' first sermon here. When he, when he preached this sermon that it was fulfilled in, the, in their ears. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Verse 18, you have Luke 4.18. In verse 19, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, he closed the book and gave it again to the minister, sat down. 
And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And verse 21 says, And he began to say unto them, This day is this Scripture fulfilled in your ears. And it literally was. Every phase of it. Every part of it. That he quoted. But that's why he did not say they accept the day of vengeance of our God because that is still a future time. And a fulfillment is a fulfillment, isn't it? That will be fulfilled in the day of His vengeance, but it was not yet fulfilled. So let's go on with the thought now that uh, we're talking about that His authority, uh, He acted upon the authority of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God. And this is proof of it, that that's the way He acted. Now then, when we talk about the body of Jesus, it was real flesh and bone and blood. We find that in several passages of Scripture. Let me give you Psalm 40 and verse 6. Psalm 40 and verse 6. Notice what it says here. Psalm 40 and verse 6 says, Sacrifice and offering that is not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and, and sin offering thou hast not required. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. And in Hebrews 10 verse 5, you have him quoting this same thing. Or the, you have uh, Paul quoting it concerning the body of Christ. In Galatians 4 verse 4, we've already referred to it. It says, uh, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, in verse 5, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So all this was fulfilled in Christ. Now then, His humanity was so perfect that He could have returned to heaven at any time during His earthly ministry without death. Because He was perfect man. He had nothing to condemn Him upon this earth. And it's even His own flesh that He dwelt in as God manifest in the flesh was perfect. It was sinless. And so He could have gone back to heaven. Now frankincense was placed upon the oil and the flour. Let's talk about the frankincense. Frankincense was a sweet gum. When fire was applied... to it, it gave forth a sweet fragrance. And that's why it was a offering a sweet savor offering unto God, because it gave forth a sweet smell. And this represents the attitude of God the Son to the Father. In uh, John chapter 8, listen, verse 29, it says this, And he that sent me is with me, the Father hath not left me alone, Listen, for I do always those things that please Him. John 8, verse 29. I do always those things which please Him. In John 4, verse 34, He says, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish His work. When He witnessed to the woman of Samaria, and the disciples came and says, Well, have you had anything to eat? He says, I've had plenty to eat because he says, uh, I have meat to eat that you know not of. That was in witnessing to the Samaritan woman. His meat was of a spiritual nature. And he says, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. 
So in a double sense, there was the meat offering there. And the more he was tried, the more it was manifest that he sought to please the Father and to fulfill the Father's will. And this frankincense speaks of the sweetness. By the way, even in Gethsemane, he says, Father, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Thy will be done. Even in Gethsemane, he still wanted to please the Father. Now notice two other things. There was salt. We've mentioned that. There was no leaven. And there was no honey. And we'll get into some more of it. We don't, we'll read verse 2 and 3 in our text in our next lesson and have some more comments because we've only got through, basically we've got through with verse 1, but there are other things about the remainder of the verses that we want to comment on. So we'll pick up in chap, chapter 2 of Leviticus and verse